Welcome back, everyone. This is the podcast called Love God and Your Neighbor. I am Laura Hutchinson, pastor of First Christian Church in Anniston, Alabama, and I am so grateful that you're here with us today. Here with us again is the music team, Gerald Roberts. He's our director of music, playing the keyboard. Annie Ingram is on the trumpet, and Jason Wright is our soloist and worship leader. Today, we are observing All Saints Day, and in a minute, we will light a candle in memory of our loved ones that we have lost. If you would like to join us in this ritual, go get a candle and a lighter. I want to thank all of you who have sent in donations to First Christian Church in Anniston. Your offerings are a blessing and appreciated by us as well as by God. We would not be here if it weren't for the tithes and offerings of our faithful givers like you. So if you feel so moved again today, please consider giving to God through us. You can either go to our webpage, www.fccanniston.org, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click the Donate Now button. PayPal, again, is the only functioning donation option for now. So otherwise, you can donate by sending a check to First Christian Church to 1327 Layton Avenue. Anniston, Alabama, 36207. Now I invite you to gather your elements for communion, bread or crackers, juice or wine, and don't forget your candle for All Saints Day. Let us worship the Lord with adoration and love. Feel free to pause this recording while you go and get what you need. Now I invite you to enter into a worshipful mindset and let us welcome the Spirit of the Lord into our hearts this day. We have come to affirm our historic faith and to worship the God of our mothers and fathers. We have come to remember God's benefits to us, the living, and to respond in thanksgiving to the mighty works of God in our lives. We have come to affirm our trust in the God of all futures, to whose name be blessing and honor glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Now let us sing our hymn of praise, Shall We Gather at the River? Of 
Every year on this day, we celebrate All Saints Day, a day to honor and remember those who have gone on before us, who have received their heavenly reward and who are waiting for us to join them one day. It's often a somber day, of course, but this year is particularly poignant. This year, many people in our world have lost friends and family members, but have been barred from the experience of going to their funerals, of celebrating their lives with other people who loved them, and of celebrating the rituals that help us begin our grief process. To not be able to celebrate a loved one's life with other people can cause a delay in our grief process, which can prolong pain, the pain that we feel from the loss. The events of 2020 and the effects of the pandemic on our lives makes this day and this celebration even more meaningful. As we speak the names and light our candles, Give thanks to God for allowing your loved one to be a part of your life and ask God to look after them until you may be reunited once more. I invite you now to say the names of your loved ones who have passed and light the candle in their memory. Let us pray. We give you thanks, O God, for all the saints who ever worshipped you, whether in brush arbors or cathedrals, weathered wooden churches or crumbling cement meeting houses, where your name was lifted and adored. We give you thanks, O God, for hands lifted in praise, manicured hands and hands stained with grease or soil, strong hands, and those gnarled with age, holy hands, used as wave offerings across the land. We thank you, God, for hard-working saints, whether hard-hatted or steel-booted, head-ragged or aproned, blue-collared or three-piece suited. They left their mark on the earth for you, for us, for our children to come. Thank you, God, for the tremendous sacrifices made by those who have gone before us. Bless the memories of your saints, God. May we learn how to walk wisely from their examples of faith, dedication, worship, and love. Amen. Today's scripture comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will, will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Now, if you've lit, in a, can lit a candle, um, I want you to imagine all of the other candles out there that have been lit by people listening to this podcast. And as we think about those lights, we know that most of us know what it's like to grieve for someone who's died. Maybe we lost someone who was very dear to us, maybe a parent, a spouse, or even a child. And the gaping hole they left will never be filled. Maybe we lost someone we barely saw from year to year, so our feelings of loss come suddenly and harshly out of the blue but most of the time our lives do not change with their passing. Some of us are grieving for people or even pets that the world around us does not understand. And so we don't feel comfortable being sad in other people's presence. Maybe we lost someone suddenly and maybe we sat with them as they slowly deteriorated for months or even years. Because our circumstances are all different because our feelings for those lost are all different, and because we all process these losses in different ways, grief is different for all people, and it is a sacred process that each person deserves to go through however they feel moved to do it. In the first letter to, Thess to the Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul was writing to a congregation that was not only grieving, but they were also feeling a lot of stress and confusion about the people they had lost. You see, these members of the early church, including Paul, all believed that Jesus would return while they were still alive. So when their loved ones who had followed Jesus started dying, they were distressed. Weren't they believers? Are they not saved? Will we not see them again? And so Paul says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. The section of the letter we're reading today was written as an effort to give pastoral care to his flock. He sought to comfort them and encourage them as they grieved their losses, and he wanted to give them some hope, a glimmer of light in the natural darkness those losses created. He went on to say, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. 
and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, a couple of things that you might take away after a first reading of this scripture passage could include these two things. One, the dead will literally rise out of the ground when Jesus comes back. And two, we don't go to heaven until the second coming. However, this text is not making either claim. As I just said, it was not written for the purpose of outlining exactly where their dead one dead loved ones were at that moment, but it was written to comfort the living in their grief. For one thing, Paul says that when the second coming happens, God will bring with him all of those who have already passed. This implies that these loved ones are already with God in heaven. As the Christians in Thessalonica seemed to worry that since their friends and family had passed before Christ's return, that they would not get to go to heaven or that the living would go to heaven before them, Paul instead assures them that the people who have died already are reaping the reward of loving Christ Jesus now, just as we will when it is our turn to go. The grief process is so painful, even in the best of circumstances, isn't it? Even when you were on good terms with the deceased, even when the person who died had lived a full life and was ready to go, even if our loved one died peacefully in his or her own bed, even in all of that, grief is fraught with tears and anger and disbelief and painful reminders and deep sadness and so much more. Imagine if you covered all of that with the thought that your loved one died too soon and missed the only opportunity for salvation they had. How devastating would that be? In the first line of our scripture, Paul did refer to the people who grieved without hope and said he didn't want his people to have to experience that. Exactly what he said. He said exactly this. He said, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now, I'm not sure, no, I am sure that most people would read this and think that Paul was saying that there's no hope for an afterlife without Christ, but that's not what he means here. He means that in Christ, we have the assurance of eternal life with God. Consequently, we grieve with a hope that others do not have, not because they are hopeless without Christ. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying that Faith in Christ comes with the belief in not only an afterlife, but a resurrection into eternal life with God. Other faiths do not offer such a belief. And so followers of other faiths do not have the kind of hope that Jesus' followers have. And yet, these Thessalonians were experiencing that very same devastation nonetheless. Paul was also not saying that since their loved ones live with Christ, that they should not grieve. He's saying grief as a Christian is different. Because we know, one, they are safe and joyful already. And two, we will be reunited as the community of saints one day. And these beliefs, well, they soften the sting of grief, but they do not eliminate it in any way. Studying this part of Paul's letter, it reminds me of all the ways that people try to help, but maybe accidentally end up hurting instead. I'm sure you've all heard it before. Don't be sad. He's in a better place. 
Are you still crying about your mom? Didn't she die over a year ago? Don't you think maybe you should be getting over that now? God needed another angel in heaven. And maybe the most damaging, it was God's will that he should die. The problem with all of these sayings and all of the others that unintentionally cause pain, and, and I want you to remember that when people say most of those things, they really do think they're saying something comforting. They, they truly mean well. Just give them the benefit of the doubt. Anyway, the problem with these sayings is that they disregard, discount, and disrespect the agony that death causes the living. And they attempt to shorten the process that we have to go through to adjust to the loss. And notice, I didn't say recover from the loss or heal from the loss. That's because losing a loved one is not an injury or an illness that will eventually be in the past. That loss stays with us for the rest of our lives. Some losses leave larger holes than others, but since that person is never coming back to life in this world, those holes will never be filled. And so the grief process is not a period of recovery or healing. It is a process of adjusting to life without that person. For example, early on in the grief process, we tend to forget as we sleep that our loved one is gone. And then every morning as we wake up, the realization hits us and it hurts as if it just happened that day. Well, as time goes on, our brains fully absorb this new reality and we stop getting hit with it at every awakening. We settle into the loss and it eventually gets woven into the fabric of our lives. When that happens, the pain usually grows less and less acute over time. And Paul is demonstrating here a better way to approach someone who is grieving. First, he corrected the painful and inaccurate theology that the people were suffering under. He set them straight and assured them that their loved ones were not lost, that they were with God already, and that they would not be left behind when Christ came back to usher the saints into heaven. In fact, they were going to come with Jesus and join us in the crowds to welcome Jesus in his royal reception. If Paul were writing this letter to us today, he might tell us that God did not take our loved ones, but that death is unfortunately an unavoidable occurrence for all creatures. And he would say that God grieved with us and that God hated to see us hurting and, and that in his attempt to soften death's sting, he gave us Jesus. So at least we know we haven't said goodbye forever. Paul realized that this was a consolation, not a cure for grief. The next thing that Paul did was not only acknowledge their grief, but implied that he too was grieving with them. When we are with a person who has suffered the loss of someone close to them, no matter what their relationship was, what they need from us the most is for us to affirm the feelings that they have, to let them know that whatever they are experiencing is normal and that you're there for them. And that's what they need from you. That's it. So what exactly is normal grieving? Well, when you're grieving, you could feel numb, sad, angry. You could experience sobbing, 
maybe you don't cry at all. Maybe you're irritable or forgetful, have dilting, or you start sleeping more than usual, or you sleep less than usual, or you don't really want to be around people, or you can't stand to be alone, or you really need to keep busy, or you want to be still and do nothing. Sometimes looking at old photos is comforting. And then other times for some people, not you can't stand to look at the photos. You feel apathetic. You love telling stories about the person who died. Or you don't want to talk about the person who died at all. Or you're telling jokes and laughing a lot. Or you can't stand to be around laughter. It just hurts too much. And on and on and on. Do you get the picture? It's all normal. And anyone may or may not experience all or none of these, these feelings. The key is to make space for people to feel whatever they might be feeling for as long as they happen to feel them and to not try to push them into reacting the way you think they ought to react. Different societies have de developed different rituals to help with the process of grieving. We have funerals and wakes and burial rituals. Jewish people sit Shiva for a week after the loved one has been buried, telling stories and remembering the person that they were close to. My family likes to get together at the family home after the funeral to eat, tell stories and jokes, laugh, cry, and share jello shots in our loved one's memory. If you want to know where that came from, just ask. Whatever we do, it's for the purpose of honoring the dead and for helping the living begin the long process of adjustment to the death. It's also usually comforting to be surrounded by other people who love the deceased too. These people are your people and there's peace in being around them, hopefully. But we haven't been able to do much of that this year, have we? I think that the cruelest factor of the coronavirus pandemic is that it has stolen our communal rituals, our weddings, birthdays, graduations, funerals, and so on. My cousins had a small gathering down in Florida last week to honor the life of their mother, my first cousin, Beth Gibb. Beth and I were not very close, meaning we didn't talk on the phone much. And because of the nature of my job, I didn't get to see her as often as the other members of my family did. You see, I've missed a lot of family events over the years because I work on Sundays. So when Beth passed, I was hurt by the loss and very sad, of course, but I didn't really think that my grief would affect me as much as it has other members of my family. So I was shocked by the fact that I was devastated when they were together and I wasn't with them. And I realized in that moment that I really, really, needed the closure of our family rituals, and I was not going to get it. That's why I'm so grateful that we're here in this place observing All Saints Day together today. It is an important ritual made all the more important by the situation in our world today. My grief for my cousin is different than it is for my mom, my aunt, for my sister, for Beth's children and siblings, and even her ex-husband. But my grief is real and needs to be honored by ritual. Your grief is also real 
depending on when your loved ones passed, you may have had the opportunity to honor their lives with your people, or you may not. You may have had the opportunity to say goodbye in a religious setting, and you may not have until today. Paul understood the reality of grief and the need to honor it. And he also understood that the resurrection of Christ is the event that allows a light to shine through our darkest hours. We still have to face the rest of this life without the person we loved. But we also know that because of God's love expressed in Jesus the Christ, our loss is not forever. The hope we get to experience at the point of greatest loss is a gift from God we should never take for granted. We know that they are at peace. We know that they are in the presence of God. We know that any suffering they may have experienced in this life is no more. And we know that they wait for us on the other side of that thin veil that separates heaven and earth. And we know that we will see them again someday. Before you is a flame that burns, and it represents a light that still shines today. Our loved ones' lives have not been snuffed out. They are burning still and shining brightly forevermore in heaven. Oh, the joy that we should all feel knowing that we will be with them again one day. Amen. As we contemplate God's word for us today, let us sing together our hymn of meditation for all the saints.
It is because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we get to celebrate a person's life with any kind of hopefulness. I have several friends who truly believe that when a person dies, they simply cease to exist. I've seen those friends at funerals and their agony is overwhelming. My heart has broken for them. To them, the death is final, absolute, and irreversible. And they are broken because of it. But when a Christian mourns another Christian, we are sad, even devastated by the loss, but we're not without hope. We know that our loved one is in heaven now, not gone, just somewhere else, somewhere infinitely better than anywhere here on earth. And we believe that we will see them again. We have that hope, that promise, because God, in the form of Jesus, sacrificed himself to conquer death once and for all. So as you take the bread and the cup today, remember your loved ones who have passed on. Remember them and give thanks to Jesus Christ for giving you the hope of seeing them again one day. On the night when the Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, blessed it, and said, This is my body broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, blessed it, and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. God, our Father, source of all holiness, the work of your hands is manifest in your saints. The beauty of your truth is reflected in their faith. May we who aspire to have part in their joy be filled with the spirit that bless their lives so that having shared their faith on earth, may we also know their peace in your kingdom. Grant this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Come and eat the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Now let us celebrate all that Christ has done. Let us sing together. We come as guests invited.
Join me in the Litany of Remembrance, which you can find printed in the About This Episode segment of the podcast. By partaking in this meal, we remember that Christ was born. Christ Christ died. died. Christ was raised. Christ Christ will will come come again. again. This is the mystery of our faith. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. And now for the benediction. Go on your way rejoicing, surrounded as you are by such a great cloud of witnesses. Take courage as you face each new challenge and comfort when you pick yourself from a fall. In whatever good you choose to do, precede it with hope, accompany it with prayer, and follow it with thanksgiving. The blessing of God most wonderful, whom the saints have trusted us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, will be with you now and evermore. Amen. When the saints go marching in, oh, when the saints go marching in, oh, Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. Oh, when the sun, oh, when the sun refused to shine, refused to shine. Oh, oh, when, when the sun refused to shine, oh, Lord, I want when the sun refused to shine, oh, when they cried, Lord of Lords, when they cried, Lord of Lords, oh, Lord, I want to be in that number.